Welcome to Woman's Zone, connecting women through their stories. Rachel Ketsui Manenzi is a new name and one to watch on the South African literary landscape. In 2019, she won the Writivism Prize for Masarumo. It's the story of a rural Limpopo community trying to find the reasons for a series of unnatural deaths. And last year, 2020, her first novel, Scatterlings, won the Dinane Debut Fiction Prize. It's a tender tale of a mixed marriage in the time of the Immorality Act of 1927 and the very heart-sore outcome. Well, it's a book filled with legendary and real historical reference, and in it we're introduced to a special young woman by the name of Dido. But Shoki herself is something of a special young woman. She's a PhD student of chemical engineering as well as a writer. I'm Nancy Richards, and as the Woman's Own Book Club Guest of the Month, I asked Shoki first about her own origins. I grew up in rural Limpopo with two brothers. The other one came later, but I have three brothers. And we had like a normal bush childhood where we went into the forest to get like wild fruit and uh, locusts and all that stuff. So it was a very... The, the brother who came later, I look at him and I'm like, you didn't have the same childhood as us. You know, he has Facebook and all that stuff. You know, I'm getting a bit back in my day, <laughs> but that's that's how it was. We played outside all the time. So that's the kind of childhood I had. And um, it was back when we still had like those, um, I suppose you could call them indigenous childhood games. So we had a lot of those and those kinds of stories and those kinds of legends. So... I'm realizing now that I think once I came to varsity, a lot of those stories, my brother, my youngest brother doesn't know. A lot of those games my brother can't play. I don't necessarily know how that happened, but his whole, I suppose we're the same generation, but his whole age, his age mates, it's just not happening for them. So, yeah, but I had a very uh, bush-like childhood. Well, before we skip from the bush to varsity, I think there's a whole lot of stuff that must have happened in between. And I'm just yeah. interested in that you're talking about the indigenous games and, and the indigenous stories, because yeah. your book is filled with stories. Yeah. Was there active legend sharing in your family? Not necessarily legend sharing, but just how my family, because, okay, something about me, I am... I suppose I identify as as Musotu, but we live the village that we live in is a, is the very last village for the Sotho speaking people for the Sotho tribes, and in the very next village is the Zonga people, and. Just how that came to be was a story that got told in parts over the years. So it wasn't necessarily legend. It was just our history of how we came there and how we met the people that we met and how the family came to be. So, like, I found out randomly, like, my parents and my grandparents, they tell stories weirdly. Like I said, it's a story that got revealed by parts over 30 years of my life. So at one point you just find out that, oh, we actually, we're the last, we're at the last village because they were moved through apartheid, uh, forced removals. And then the very first village that they came to where they were allowed to live is, you know, how they came to live there. So that legend is something that got told over quite literally 30 years. So that was, I think that's the strongest story I have to date. 
It sounds like it's going to be a book in itself. Maybe <laughs> maybe one day your autobiography. <laughs> yeah. But school must have played a part because uh, there was writing. There's obviously quite a, yeah. a sensibility around writing and literature and etc. What part did school play? I went to boarding school. I think that's the part that played the biggest part because it was. I've described this before as like uh, like prison, but for children. So <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend boarding school. So that's why I went for high school, studying grade eight. I was 12 years old. And that's when I suppose my hormones were going haywire. And I wasn't coping with being away from my family and my brothers. We're very close. We're a very close family. So I wasn't coping well with that. Um, and my body didn't didn't make sense to me all of a sudden. So there was that whole cliche of, you know, what is the world? What am I doing here? And it's not advisable to be vulnerable in boarding school. So the one thing that I could do that helped me cope was to write. And I started with poetry. I think I've described myself more as a poet than as a writer because I was more comfortable with that for the longest time. And also because I went to a boarding school in another Sotho subgroup it was difficult for me because I didn't speak their language. I didn't know all of their games. Um, it was an immediate othering. And I'd never experienced something like that before. So I didn't understand and I didn't exactly fit in immediately. So I coped with writing. So I coped with poetry. And then, yeah. And much later, I got into, actually, into short stories. But school influenced my poetry. Because also I did um, English second language. And we don't read like Shakespeare and classics. We read poetry. So that's how I got into writing. Would it be too simplistic to say that the writing was almost like therapy, like confessional? It's it? not simplistic at all. It's 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 exactly how I got into writing. It's exactly why I got into writing. Like it helped me a whole lot. Um, and also just, again, just reading about writers, you know, that cliche of, oh, struggling writers, all these tortured people, it kind of made sense to me. I was like, oh, I, I like these people. So, yeah, it's I don't think it's simplistic at all. Yeah. So you found your tribe in writing, writers, as <laughs> yes, it were. Yes. But interestingly, your, your life seems to have been divided in two different pathways because yeah. my, whilst you might have been therapeutically writing and developing your muscle as a writer, you're also a very bright kid who was developing her muscle. <laughs> you're now a chemical engineering student. How did you deal with these conflict, apparently conflicting pathways? Uh, I think for me, it didn't seem like a conflict because of where I grew up. I kind of understood that you grow up, you get like a respectable job and a respectable job, a teacher, engineer, lawyer, doctor, nurse, you know, uh, people who will have a steady salary every month. So I always thought, oh, I'm just going to grow up and like do something along those lines. So it wasn't a conflict because I never really viewed writing as something that could feed me or something that I could do professionally. Um, I, I always kind of thought those people maybe studied literature. Only people who studied literature could, you know, be writers. So it wasn't a conflict. I didn't recognize that it could be something like a conflict. It was only much later when I was in a job that I really hated. And I thought to myself, oh no, I should probably do this other thing that I really, really love. I could try to pursue that more seriously, uh, more professionally. So um, it was only, I, I think, 
when I was kind of stuck because I love science and I love engineering, but I don't belong in the industry. And it was only when I was stuck in industry that I realized that I recognized the, the conflict. And then I dealt with it by, again, I went, I did what I had done in, in high school. I coped by writing. And yeah, that's one way, you know, I, Scatterlings got written for so many reasons, but that's another reason that I wrote Scatterlings. Um, it was just me coping with, you know, how I was dealing with my life at that point in my life. So, yeah. I think you have much to teach many people that if just writing can help you deal with all the problems in your life, <laughs> we should all be writers. <laughs> but you're not studying for no reason. I imagine you see yourself in some sort of, uh, some sort of engineering future. Yes, yes. I love academia. I don't belong in industry, but I can see myself in academia the next 20, 30 years. Um, I love research. Uh, I just came from the lab now. I love designing experiments. I love conducting experiments and analyzing the results and all of that. I just don't have a lot of time now because I'm also lecturing, but I can see myself in, in the world of academia. Well, maybe all that's for another interview another day. Yeah. But right now I'd love to sort of focus on your writing. Yeah. So you started off writing poetry as a therapeutic sort mm -hmm. of device. But you've gone on from there because you wrote a short story that actually won you the Writerism competition. Yes. Tell me about that story and when did you write it? I wrote that story, I think, around 2012. I got into short stories. <laughs> Again, I get into writing. I, well, I, I dig deeper into writing just to, because fiction helps me. So the problems got bigger after leaving high school. Well, not after leaving high school, exactly. Like my grandma, the woman who raised me, she had died. And that problem seemed a lot bigger than a changing body and simply missing home. So as the problems got bigger, my writing kind of got bigger quite literally so I transitioned from short stories because I felt like a poem wasn't enough to explain all the things that I was feeling I needed more words and more pages so I was like oh okay let me try a longer form of writing and then I got into short stories that's how I got into short stories so even later when my problems got even bigger I started you know novels so that's how I got into short story writing. And that story, I got into it because I know it deals with quite a grim subject, but I felt like it was funny, if I may say so myself. So I wanted something light. You know, I, sometimes I read my stuff and I was like, well, that's a bummer. I, I don't want to read this like every day. So I, I wanted lighter stuff as well. And that's how that short story came into being. It didn't mean just because I was dealing with like difficult things that I had to write difficult things as well. So, yeah. So can you give us a synopsis of that story? Uh, it's about a series of deaths that happened in the small village around 99 and 2000. And uh, the story deals with how the characters interpret the deaths and, and what it means for every one of them, like the superstition is it crime? So it's quite grim. But the characters, I made them, well, I tried to make them funny. I suppose the reader will have to decide, but I tried to make it very light. So the synopsis is just how, what happened in the small village in 2000. 
not grim was the fact that it gave you a monetary prize as well as uh, a, res- a writing residency at Stellenbosch University. Yes. Have you done that or is that still to come? And what did that entail? Uh, I still have to do the, the residency. Um, I think I'm going to do it sometime probably next year or the year after that uh, because they give you a little bit of time to work with. So, yeah, and I have a, a novel that I'm hoping to bring forth in, 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 into the residency and, yeah. That's the plan for now. <laughs> so where does scattlings fit into this sort of uh, chain of events? Because you mentioned that your problems were getting bigger, so you just took on a bigger writing project. Where did scattlings start and, and how did it fit in? Um, yeah, because I was, when I was stuck in that job that I really didn't like, I started writing this other book. It's a sci-fi. And I wrote myself into quite a nifty little corner that I couldn't get out of. Quite literally, there's a character who's stuck somewhere and I don't know how to get her out. So I started writing um, Scatterlings as a kind of it was meant to be the rescuers. They was the, they, the characters in Scatterlings could have at some point met the character and like quite literally rescued her. But as I was writing Scatterlings, the project became, because that one was sci-fi, the characters of Scatterlings were a bit more grounded in their own myth, mythology system. So the legends there, it, the project got way too big and the writer's block got worse. So I had to, I just separate, I simply quite literally just separated the stories and the characters of Scatterlings had their own little story on their own. And then that other character is still stuck where I left her. It's not a linear journey being a writer. <laughs> no, it's, it's really not. However, your linear journey is, is one of success because Scatterlings actually won you the 2020 Denane Debut Fiction Award. Yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It's a wonderful story. It's set in 1927. It's set yes. in, starts in the winelands of, of Constantia. It's an extraordinary story, and I'm wondering what inspired it. <laughs> That's a very good question. Honestly, I just... The, the one character that I knew for sure was going to be in the story was Dido. This little girl who really didn't belong kind of in the world or the world sort of informed her that she didn't belong. So that inspired it. I just wanted to tell the story of this little girl somewhere in South Africa. Um, I honestly, quite honestly, I didn't have an idea of how else the story would branch out. But obviously I had a little girl and then the little girl needed parents and then the parents needed their own stories. Um, So it, it was more just... Again, me experimenting because, you know, I was going through a writer's block and I was trying to see what else I could do. And I suppose in a way, the character of Dido was it's kind of like uh, if I had flashbacks in my sci-fi um, project, the flashbacks would kind of be Dido. But Dido needed her own set of um facts and demographic markers and all those things and histories and experiences. So the more that she diverged from the character, the sci-fi character, the more she became her own person. And then during that time, I I think I, I tried to get into South African history. So during that time, as I was writing, I got a little bit into South African history. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting time period. Because I think that a lot of the time, it's very simple to kind of imagine that South Africa went 
straight from colonialism and into apartheid when there was this whole period where the lines weren't quite as clear and apartheid itself was so well designed that it took stages like well-designed stages so that's how Daido ended up there um I just thought it was an interesting time. I thought she would be an interesting character to do, to kind of, you know, see that world and her experiences in that world, I thought would be kind of um, interesting to explore. So that's how it was just me trying to figure out what kind of writer I wanted to be in a lot of ways. It is an interesting era that you've chosen. It's an era that seems to me to be slightly underwritten. It doesn't seem to be so much covered. Um, It's in March 1927 that the Immorality Act is passed, which is how it impacts on Dido's mother and father. Yes. Did you have to do a lot of research? It feels like you have immersed yourself in what might have happened in the Winelands then and how things transpire and that Dido's parents might have had their roots in some real-life characters, or am I assuming too much? I I had to do a lot of research, but strangely enough, when I was doing the research, it wasn't necessarily that I was going to put it in the book. It was just, you know, for my own interest. And then the characters, I didn't want to base them on any... There are kind of real-life people mentioned in the book, but I didn't want to draw too much from reality in that sense because also I wanted to allow myself a little bit of freedom. Um, And I felt like if I drew too much from reality just in terms of people, it would limit the direction in which the story could go. Um, So certain things couldn't happen because that would be inaccurate. Then I would have to put a disclaimer. So I, I just wanted a lot of freedom. But the one constraint I placed on myself and on the characters was that the history kind of had to be true. Uh, but certain things like the actual wine farm that they live on doesn't exist. Um, so certain things I played around with and everything else, it had to be rigid. So, yeah. I'm not going to ask you to tell too much of the story because it would be to give it away. Yes. But I do have to talk about Dido's mother. Is it Alicia? Alisa. Alisa. Yes. Dido's mother, Elisa, is an intriguing character. She's also a writer or a, a journal writer. Yeah. Just give us a character sketch of Elisa. Um, I wanted Elisa to, I think a lot of the time, were, well, I shouldn't speak for all of fiction, but a lot of the time it's very easy to sort of, the books I've read, uh, they deal with kind of immigration where characters leave Africa and Africa is always kind of the place to be left behind. You know, um, the West is kind of the place the place with opportunities and all that stuff. And I wanted to explore the opposite of that, where someone actively chose to leave the West and to go into a sort of barren Africa, you know, to find whatever it is they could find there. So that was the template I had for her. Alisa had to be a traveler and she was a traveler who was instead of leaving Africa who was coming to it but I also wanted to explore again because I've been reading a lot of books that deal with immigration so I wanted to explore a character who was kind of coming back and she was coming back although she'd never actually left so the complexities of those you know those feelings um what goals you hope to achieve as a person you know going to this place that you don't know and you kind of belong to but you don't belong to so that was the the driving point for for Alisa so all my characters are traveler but her I wanted that specific journey for her 
She was a troubled traveller. She was a very deeply troubled person. Yes. And identity issues are, are huge for her, as yeah. they will be for young Dido, who is still a young thing. But the fact that you've used her journals as a way of of un- unpacking her thought process, mm-hmm. that was, seems to have been quite a, a useful device, quite a, a conscious thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know my worry with that was... Because initially, I played around with putting her journals at the very beginning of the book. And um, because I worried that, you know, because of stuff that happens in the book, I didn't want to kind of justify what happened. I didn't want it to seem like it was okay that she'd, you know, done what she had done. But at the same time, I wanted that kind of, um, I can't, I'm not sure if empathy is the right word, but there needed to be a series of events that could, when you looked at them, you would sort of, the conclusion had to make sense. Um, because I don't think you do something like that just because you just want to do something like that. I think the conclusion had to have a few premises that, you know, led there. Uh, and you could, as a reader or as a person, put the clues together and be like, oh, okay, this is what happened also have to draw attention to the two figures who are very key in a quiet way, in a sort of an ancestral spirit type of way. Mm-hmm. One is Nanny Gloria, or Makoma, yes. and the other one is, I don't think she's a nanny, but Josefina, yeah. and they play a sort of um, ancestral, spiritual, yes. connecting role. How did you bring them in? Why did you bring them in? What, what did you see as their role? Um, I think... Um, maybe a quarter of the way into writing the book, I realized that Alisa's story kind of was incomplete. You know, she she's displaced. I, I suppose all my characters are kind of displaced, but there were also within South Africa itself a lot of the displaced people. And I, I wanted to highlight that part of the displaced person. And a lot of the books I've read, again, I can't speak for all of literature, but a lot of the books I've read deal with, say, the displacement of black men, specifically going to the mines in Johannesburg. But, um, and a lot of the time it ignores, you know, what, what were the women doing? Where were they? So I wanted to kind of hint or highlight where some of them had ended up. And that's how we end up with uh, those two characters. They kind of have similar circumstances. Nanny Gloria travels quite a long way. She crosses all of South Africa. And then, uh, so it was just the other half of Alisa's story, essentially. So you have this one coming all the way to Africa. And you have people within Africa still being displaced within Africa. So it was just a part, a second part of that story. I suppose I want to close where we began, which is the legends and the stories and the folklore and the tales that you knew as a child in Limpopo. Because the book actually starts with a sand story, um, a sort of conglomerate sand story of how the Milky Way was developed. But the book is shot through with the promise of stories and legends and tales, like a repository for all the things that you know. Did you find that they just sort of tumbled out or how did you include them? Consciously, they, they really did just tumble out. I, that that was the one part of the story that I didn't have to work super hard at. Um, it just made sense, and also because, for example, how I speak with my mom and with my dad, like simply telling them that I got a car is not a conversation where I say I got a car, and they're like, "Oh, awesome!" It's like 
so much happened like there's so many stories involved and then at the end you're like oh i got a car like no conversation gets straight to the point and that's just the kind of language that i'm used to um and nothing one thing that my uh, i spoke with my friend uh, a while back and he was like you know you never actually mentioned that alisa is black and i was like yeah and he's like yeah it makes sense because our language is very subtle it's very subtle so it ends up going like it unfolds into like a much bigger thing because you have to explore all those subtleties and they give birth to each other yeah that's how that happened it, it was something that came i suppose naturally it wasn't something that i i had to kind of force into the story i suppose yeah it always seems a cruel thing to ask a writer what they're writing next because it seems like you know <laughs> writing you know, as you say writing yourself into a corner um, <laughs> but it felt to me at the end of the book like dido has a future uh, in your hands mm-hmm. as a character would i be right um i feel like <laughs> i want to i want to explore her story further but probably i should, probably shouldn't <laughs> I, i just feel like um I don't know if I'll ruin the story. I don't know. There's just that fear of oh no, what if I I continue the story and it just runs away from me. So I'm not sure yet. I, I won't rule anything out. I I can't rule anything out, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But very finally, you alluded to the book that you were trying to write uh, that you know you were having troubles with and where is that? Is that still on the drawing board or on the on the laptop? What what state is that in? Yeah, it's still on the drawing board because honestly speaking, I did not think anyone would ever in their life ever publish scatterlings ever. Um I thought like if I ever wanted to publish scatterlings, I had to publish the sci-fi first in order for people to be like, "Oh, you know what? Maybe she's not so bad." So <laughs> that is the one book I want I've always wanted to publish. I love scatterlings, but it was like a thing that I never expected to happen. Even when they announced me as the winner, I still didn't believe it. So that the sci-fi is still coming. I think I have a way to to unwrite my corner now. So hopefully that happens. Well, we look forward to that one. <laughs> very very last year and again it's maybe it's a an unfair question or a difficult question. Are there any writers that have been your role models? You've got a quite a very certainly scatlings has got a very distinct style anybody that you can pin yeah. that down to yeah actually um weirdly stephen king <laughs> no <laughs> and and i think if you if you look close enough you can see it in scatlings it's like multi uh, pov the first book i read by him was carry and that's um multi povs so uh, stephen king atiti dangaremgwa a lot of um a lot of zimbabwean writers actually and and stephen king and a lot of sci-fi writers like david mitchell um daniel abraham so i, I read a lot of uh, sci-fi and fantasy so yeah and if you had a crystal ball and you were to rub it what will you be doing in 20 years time will you be writing or will you be an engineer I think I'll probably be writing. Yeah, I love lab work, but I don't think I do that as a 40-year-old. It just it doesn't happen for me, but yeah. Hopefully um my writing works out. Lovely. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Hey yo, hey yo.